as you know, we started the series last week on holiness. And so this morning's sermon is not based upon what I'm about to tell you, but I want to share with you a conversation that we had yesterday. I was speaking with David Martin. He's the vice president of the international part of the Gideon's organization. He's been to Ecuador. He has been to China, Taiwan, India, Ethiopia, South America, Brazil, many places all over the world. He told me about a place in Ecuador where they were trying to take the Word of God and, and get it into the hands of um, school children that didn't have copies of the Word of God. And these guys, they do an amazing ministry. I mean, they, they literally buy a plane ticket into a country and don't to people they don't know. They show up in the airport at times, and they don't know which taxi they're going to take. They don't speak the language. They don't have an interpreter. They don't know where they're going to distribute Bibles. They don't know where a church is. And they show up in the airport and start asking, are there any Christian churches around here? Do you know anybody that's a Christian that we can trust, that we can talk with? Do you know any translators? It's amazing what these guys do. He found a Christian pastor in Ecuador. And he began to talk to him about their desire to bring the Bibles and put them in the hands of his church members so that they, his church members, could take the Bible and get it to the people in Ecuador. He told me that for two hours, him and this man had a conversation about how, how important the Word of God is and how important it is for people to read it and how important it is to get in the hands of people while they're young. And he said, everything that I'd say, the man would agree And I'd press him, well, do you have men in your church I can talk to about getting Bibles to them so they can go distribute them? He said he wouldn't give me any names. He said for two hours we danced around it. He said finally after two hours of back and forth, I just felt bold enough to tell this guy. He said, listen, sir, it's obvious you and I have the same goals. It's obvious that you believe in the Word of God and I believe in the Word of God. It's obvious that we believe that we need to get the Word of God out. He said, but you won't give me any names, and you're not going to, are you? He said, no, sir. He said, would you at least tell me why you won't give me any names of the men in your church? Here was his response. Because you're from America. He said, and we read here about the American church. And it is so polluted And so filthy, so far off from this book you claim to believe that I don't trust you with my men. He said, well, what is it that that you have conflict with? Let's let's get this worked out. Let's figure out if, if we fall into that category. If we do, then so be it. He said, well, for one thing, we see many of your churches ordaining homosexuals as pastors. He said, for, he said we, see, we see headlines of, of pastors of major ministries doing fraud with money and stealing the money of the people. He said, we see the lavish life so many of the American Christians and, and, and leaders live. 
They talked about those things. And David Martin assured him, and he's telling the truth when he says, getting organization is, is, is pure and stands on the authority of the Word of God, and they stand against all of that. And, and that man eventually ended up giving him some names. And there's a, there's a camp there now, and they're handing out Bibles to the people there. But I thought about how pathetic it is that the way we're viewed in this world. And not just is it pathetic, but it's true. And in this culture, when you preach about holiness, and you preach about righteous living, people don't want to hear it. People don't want to repent. People just kind of want to be fluffed up and built up and, and encouraged and encouraged and encouraged and encouraged and encouraged a little bit more. And if that doesn't work, just encourage them some more. But here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. And I'm just going to speak it plain. It's okay that the kids are in here because I'm going to preach plain enough that a child can understand it. God is coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. The question is, are you part of that church? God demands holiness. The question is, do you embrace holiness? God is a holy God who demands a holy people. And I won't make excuses for your unholy, unrighteous, filthy living this morning. And no, I won't make you feel good about it and make you feel like you can leave and everything's okay because God loves you. I don't have any intention of doing that. It is a time for a call to holiness in the life of the church. There are things we should not do. As I was mulling over this this whole week, I thought about how we don't want to be told not to do anything. You know, it's okay for me to tell you how to do good things, how to help this person, and how God can help you, and how life can be great and joyful. But the moment you start talking about don't do this, the walls go up. You know how foolish that is spiritually? You will never be victorious in anything until you learn what not to do. Any good teacher, any good coach, any good general, any good leader in any capacity will warn you what not to do. There's never been a successful coach in the history of the world that didn't teach his players what not to do. I thought about my sophomore year in high school, I had to wrestle a kid who was about 40-0 and 0 at the time. The year before, he went 31-0. and 0. He was undefeated and was the state champ in Kansas. And I was going to have to be wrestling him, and I was only a second-year wrestler. I started my freshman year. And my coach, at the end of, at the, end of the uh, practice on Wednesday night, we have duels on Thursday, my coach would always set the team down and he'd say, here's the plan. You know, wrestling was an individual sport, but we always had the team mentality. And he would say, I've got you winning by at least five points. I've got you losing by no more than ten. And, and so you've got this many points against the team. You have this many points for the team. And if our judgment comes out right, we win by this much and they lose by this much at the end of the day. They had me down for negative seven. Now, negative seven is a pin. You can get beat by 15 points, and they will call the thing off, and the team gets six points. 
The worst you can do is negative seven. And so he told me, he said, you don't have to wrestle this kid. We can take the forfeit here and still win as a team. To this day, I don't know if what he was trying to do. I don't know if he was trying to keep my psyche from just getting destroyed because I was a young wrestler and I was starting to learn and starting to be fairly competitive and he just didn't want, want me to totally lose confidence. Or I don't know if he was just trying to super torque me off and make me want to beat that kid. What I do know is it had the second effect. And I told him this. I said, that's crazy. I'm not afraid to go out and get pinned by this kid. I'm going to wrestle him. I'm not, I'm not going to forfeit. No way. Here's what he told me about wrestling the kid. He didn't tell me what to do. He didn't tell me how to wrestle him. He didn't give me no pointers. I'm telling you, I think they thought it was hopeless. Here's what he told me. He said, he's the best mat wrestler in all the state. Whatever you do, don't go to the mat. Because if you go to the mat and he gets on top of you, it's lights out. No chance. Whatever you do, don't go to the mat. Don't let him turn you. That was it. See, he told me what not to do. That's all he told me. What not to do. I thought about it all day long. All day long, I thought, whatever, I, don't know how, I don't know how this match is going to end up. I don't, it doesn't matter to me how. If I win or I lose, I don't care. But what does matter, I'm going to do what my coach told me. I'm not going to go to the mat. In wrestling, when you have your turn to pick, you can choose down. And that's normally the position everybody picks because you can normally get up and, and get out. He said, don't pick down. Don't do it. Stay neutral. I wrestled that kid, and in the first period, I took him down four times and let him up four times. I was up eight to four. The second I had my points, I was off of him. I wasn't going to mat wrestle him. Because he told me what not to do. In the second period, I was able to choose. We went neutral. In the third period, he was able to choose. You know what he picked? Top. And with about 30 seconds left, the score was 11 to 10, and he got me in one of his moves and was just trying to turn me, just trying to turn me over to get points. And I, re I remembered what my coach said, don't let him turn you. And the only thing going on in my mind was, don't get turned. You have to understand, if you've ever wrestled, you have to understand something. That's a very strange way of wrestling. In wrestling, you're thinking about how you score points. It's not a really defensive thing. It's, a, it's about scoring points. It's about how to get position to make a move. And when he got me in that move, the last 30 seconds, I remember I had the attitude and the mentality, you will break my arm before you turn me over. And that, for 30 seconds, went on, and that whistle blew, 
And I beat a kid that hadn't lost a match in over two years. Because my coach told me what not to do. You need to understand in Christianity, there's some things not to do. Stop it. Quit it. Get away from it. It will cause you to become unclean. It will distance you from God. It will just totally grab you by the neck and choke off the life of your spiritual vitality. That's what I want to preach about this morning, and that brings us to our text. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. You see, that's why nobody wants to do it. We just want to be joyful all the time. We just want everybody to be happy with what we're doing and tell us we're doing a great job. But it takes a father that's willing to chasten his children. It takes someone who loves to be willing to warn us. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore... Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. That's the title of this sermon series, The Pursuit of Holiness. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Did you know you can fall short of the grace of God? Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward... When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Our text tells us that, number one, God chastises us for our benefit, and that the purpose is that we may become partakers of His holiness. Last week, we looked at the text which tells us, God said, be holy as I am holy. Now we see one of the ways that God brings about that. He chastises us so that we may become partakers of His holiness. Pursue holiness. I'm going to say it three times, and I want you to listen real carefully. Without which... No one will see the Lord. 
holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Holiness is pretty important, isn't it? Because without it, no one will see the Lord. You are not the exception to the rule. Nobody is the exception to the rule. Holiness is incredibly important. He tells us to abstain from fornicating. We live in one of the most sensual societies America's ever known. And while many Christians, professing Christians, continue to live in a lifestyle of fornication and sexual promiscuity, somehow it gets swept under the rug as if God's just going to overlook it. The Bible says, stop it. Don't do it. Quit it. By it, you will become defiled. We live in a day and age of shacking up. That's what they called it in the old days. If you're, if you're here from the olden days, you know. They called, it, they called it shacking up. As you can tell, I'm not here to get an award this morning on whether or not you are happy with my sermon. But here's what I want you to know. Well, I say that, and I kind of say that jokingly. I do care about you. And I care enough to tell you what a lot of people won't. Because I'm more concerned about you and God than I'm concerned about you and me. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The problem is not, <clears throat> not that you just need to change things around either to give the appearance of holiness. That's legalism. I tell people this, and there's some that are here that have been married now. They've been through my marriage counseling. There's a multitude of you that can testify to this congregation that what I'm saying is the exact truth, and I say it in this exact way. I don't tell people to go off and get married just because they're living together. I think that's a terrible mistake, to tell you the truth. I mean, if you don't respect each other enough now to keep each other pure and holy, what makes you think that's going to change just because you stand on a stage and say, I do? I've looked at the man right in front of his fiancée, and I've said, sir, if you will defile her for five minutes of your pleasure and your lust and defile her and cause her to become filthy in the sight of God so that you can be pleasured by it. And then I look at her. And I say, what makes you think he's going to change just because you get married? I've had a couple of guys about punch me in the face. But I care enough to say the hard thing. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. God has called us to holiness. God has called us to flee sexual immorality. And we see Esau who sold his birthright for temporary gain. And I look at our culture and our country and I look at the church and I see us just willing to give up anything and everything for the moment. 
I want it now. And if that means I have to sin now, I'll ask God for forgiveness later. Listen to the preacher and listen to me clear. It doesn't work that way. If that is your attitude and that is your heart, you totally misunderstand grace. That is a dangerous, 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 dangerous way to live. Well, I'll just sin anyways and ask God for forgiveness later because He has to forgive me. Don't mock God. You forget that sin was so awful and terrible that the Son of God had to bleed and die so that we could be forgiven of it? He has died so that He could save us out of sin, not so that we could have fun while we're in it. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. There are some things we shouldn't do. We should abstain from worldliness. If you were here last week, we discussed that holiness means to be other than. Worldliness is the exact opposite of holiness. I'm preaching to you today about individual holiness. Next week, we're going to look at the holiness of the church. But when I look at the church of today, it's almost like the goal is to look as worldly and be as cool, be as accepted by the world as possible. It's like the coolest pastor is the one who has tats on the arm. And I'm not trying to cut down tattoos. Don't, don't write me a letter. And he's extra cool if he's got earrings in. It's even cooler if he's got long hair. He's even cooler if he takes off the suit and takes off the tie and dresses in jeans and a t-shirt. And there seems to be this race to be accepted by a world that rejects God. The foolishness of it. That somehow the attitude is we're doing better if the world in general accepts us as one of their own. And I'm thinking... Do we even read it anymore? Do we even know what it says? It says clearly, come out from among them and be ye separate. That's holiness. That's repentance. And as I thought about the statement of that man from Ecuador, fact is, he's right, folks. He wasn't wrong. His opinions weren't off. I thought about Jesus coming into the temple. I want you to think with me this morning. Jesus came into the temple and He grabbed tables and He threw them over. That's violent. That's not patty caking around with, oh, I just love you and let me love you out of this, you know, this defilement you're in. And it was happening in the house of God. They had turned the worship, the pure worship and adoration of God into commercialism to turn a profit. When I think about that and I look at the church today, I personally wonder, and I am not exaggerating, I mean it, I personally wonder what percentage of churches Jesus would do the same thing in our culture if He walked in? 
wonder what he'd do to your tables if he walked in your house. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? This is it. It tells you right here. Your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Look at verse 8. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. If you reject what I've said this morning, it's not me that you reject. It's one of the reasons I don't take it incredibly personal. It's this. It's this. You refuse to believe the whole counsel of it. How can you reject God and expect the blessings of God at the same time? It's like Hebrews 12 said us of Esau. When he wanted to repent, it was too late. The deed was done. It even says he sought it with tears. That's what it says. And this is New Testament. This is Hebrews chapter 12. He sought it with tears, yet did not receive it. We must quit making excuses for any sin in our life. Especially... Well, sister so-and-so does this, or brother so-and-so does that. What kind of an excuse is that? I've had people tell me, well, I don't go to church because of hypocrites. I would rather go to church with a few hypocrites than to go to hell with all of them. (laughs) What kind of an excuse is that to, to allow filthiness in your life because the standard around us allows it? When did the standard around us become the standard? It's not. This is the standard. This is the Almighty Word of God. And that's why there's such an attack on this book in our culture because this book has now began to fly in the face of what churches are preaching. We so desperately need a return to holiness. We so desperately need to quit making excuses for sin. Uncleanness. It defiles. We need to be able to look it in the eyes and stare it down and call it what it is. It is destructive. It is war against God. And you need to understand that when you sin against God, when you turn against the commands of God, As a Christian, 
God does not just decide He's going to step off and let you go your way and learn your lesson. God actually turns against you. You don't believe it? The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but He resisteth the proud. That's what it says. He resisteth the proud. Those that are prideful in heart, those that think they know better than God, those that think I'll do it my way, I don't care what anybody says, I don't care what the Word of God says, I will do it my way. And you will find the root of almost every sin can be traced to pride. It is the original sin. God resisteth the proud. I don't know about you, but I don't want God standing against me. And I want you to understand something. It's a difficult concept to explain. But there have been times I've had to do the same thing to my children, and it was for their benefit. But at the moment, at the time, I was standing against them. You can't behave that way. You can't do that. You can't talk to your mother that way. You can't lie. You can't steal. You can't hurt. You can't take things from other kids. And if you do, there's going to be punishment. I'm warning you. I'm not just sitting you on my lap and saying how much I love you and how you're a better kid than that, so let's not do that next time. It doesn't work. And if you've tried it once, you know. God demands holiness in our lives. In our culture. It's amazing how we make excuses for our sins. Especially the sins of our own family. You know, if there's somebody else that's done you wrong, and there's somebody else you can really point to, I mean, I have no doubt for some of you here this morning, you're just thinking, yes! Some of you are thinking, oh, I just wish somebody was here to hear that! Shame on you. You're spiritually deaf, and you don't understand the messages for you this morning, not someone else. The messages for me this morning, I'm going to tell you something honestly. Honestly. I almost chose not to preach this message this morning. Not because of you. Not because I'm afraid of what you think. Because when I looked at my life, I questioned, Joplin, do you have the authority to preach this message? I looked at things in my own life. And I thought, do you really do you really match the standard of holiness you're telling other people to live to? And I was so conflicted about it because I wasn't sure that I almost said, God, I'm not going to preach this message now. I'll push it off a month and I'll get some things settled in my own heart. So understand, the message is for me too this morning. But it is the message from the Word of God. We cannot justify our own sins and we can't justify the sins of others. Look what 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us. How about just verse um, 1 through 5? But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, there the word is, unholy, unloving. That word unloving in, the, in, in verse 3, it literally means without natural affection. And it literally deals with the natural love between parents and their children. It's just natural. You see it in nature. In nature, a mother or a father will nearly die to protect their young. In our culture, where are the fathers? Where are the mothers? The natural affection is gone. Children raising themselves. Children being raised by their grandparents or their great-grandparents. Without natural affection. Without self-control. Slanderers, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. See, that's the culture we live in. And and, and then the the modern attitude of the church is if you don't change the message and appeal to the pleasures of people, they'll never come in. So the idea is to try to convince you that God wants to pleasure you more than the world does. And that if you'll just trust Him, you'll be even happier with what He gives you than what the world gives you. It's a terrible message because it appeals to the flesh nature of man. And understand, God wants to destroy the flesh nature. When the Bible tells us God gives us the desires of our heart, it actually tells us to those who delight themselves in the Lord. So God has to transform the heart, and our heart has to desire the things of God. And when that happens, then God gives us the desires of our heart. But it's not our fleshly, worldly desires that God gives. Having, look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. This is hard stuff the church just don't really want to hear these days. Did you know there's somebody the Word of God tells you to turn away from? Those who have a form of godliness, but have these other characteristics in their life. Denying the power thereof. Boy, what a picture of the church of our day. Where's the power of God to change lives in the church? Where's the power of God coming from sermons preached? Where's the power of God in the lives of people? So many possess a form of godliness. And as I said, I'm just going to say it straight. So many of you here this morning in this church possess a form of godliness but have no godly power in your life whatsoever. It's the truth. And you're not going to get it And it's not going to come 
by just wishing it to happen. The first thing you've got to do is acknowledge, wow, I have let some unholiness in my life. I have let uncleanness. I, I justify watching filth. I, I, I'm play, I, I, I go out for films and for pleasure watch people sin all, all the time. My entertainment is watching adulterous relationships. I sure hope it's not, but if it is, I tell you on the authority of the Word of God this morning, repent. Stop it. Quit it. Don't do it. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I know that has an application to to our salvation and and heaven and, and, and the hope of heaven, but I'm telling you something. It has an application to our daily living. I've watched people who supposedly tried the Christian thing, right? You know, they come to church, never really repent, never really get filthiness out of their life, never really get filthiness out of their mouth and out of their mind, and never really turn to a life of clean serving God. And, they, and, and, and to them, they don't see God doing anything in their life. Well, of course you don't. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you want to see God move, if you want to see God in your marriage, do something wonderful. If you want to see God in your life, do something that that seems unexplainable. If you want to see God do the great things in you that you've watched Him do in others, understand you must repent. You must become holy. You must embrace holiness. You must pursue holiness. God will not bless our disobedience. He will not do it. And you can pray all day long. You can fast and fast and fast and fast and beg God and plead with God. Bless us! But if you don't repent and stop the uncleanness that's defiling you, God resisteth you this morning. Philippians 2.12 says that we should work out our own salvation with Fear and trembling. That's New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. You are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So I'm not here this morning to tell you what you can or can't watch. I'm not here to tell you this morning what you can or can't drink. I'm not here to tell you this morning what you can or can't eat, what you can or can't wear. I'm not here to do that. But here's what I am here to tell you. You better work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not with a flippant regard to sin in your life because you think you have some revelation about God's grace. A revelation about God's grace will change the way you live forever. When you really see how marvelous His grace is and how overriding His grace is and how His grace is greater than all our sins, the last thing in the world you'll do is run back into that filth pit that God's grace helped you get out of. That's what God's grace will do. We need to return to holiness in the church. Some of you need to return to holiness in your life. There will come a time when the church will become unholy. That time has come, at least in our culture. Men are lovers of themselves. Money is the supreme God. 
children are disobedient to parents. I remember I was going through an airport about six months ago, and there was a little, he was probably four. He's old enough to mind. And, oh, my line was forever. You ever been in one of those lines that are forever? Oh, I just wanted to get through. We gotta, you got to take off your shoes and get through the checkout, and you got to pull your laptop out of your bag and all that stuff. She's there with her son, and he's being a terror. They're right in front of me, right in front of me. And she'd say, now, don't do that. Don't do that. He'd punch her in the leg, tell her no. Oh, don't punch, don't punch. This went on for probably three or four minutes. Don't do that. Stop. That's not nice. These people don't like that. Stop it. Stop it. No, stop it. I'm telling you a true story. I finally had enough. And I knelt down on a knee and I looked that woman's son in the eyes. And I said, son, you listen to your mom. He went and stood right by her the whole time. It's the culture we live in. Children aren't expected to behave. Parents are expected to be patient. If that's you and that's the way you raise your children, you're in for an absolute nightmare. Having a form of godliness but denying its, denying its power. So I've ran long, but I want to close with something this morning and I need to close with it. There are some things that we shouldn't do, but there are some things we should do as well. And I want to leave you this morning with not just what do you not do, but what do you do. Okay? Guys, this is war. This is war. As strong as I am this morning, I have already acknowledged I had a hard time preaching this sermon when I looked at my own life and thought about my own struggles. This has been a wake-up call for me. This is a wake-up call for us. But it is the Word of God. That's number one. Number two, I, I get it. This good grief, this is a hard culture to, to resist temptation in. You don't even have to look for it. I mean, we've got to get blinders for us guys that come out about this far that we can drive with so that we don't see billboards. It is a world that we live in. I get it, okay? But what that means is we're going to have to dig our heels in and we're going to have to embrace the war and we're going to have to realize there is a world that needs Jesus and God is not going to reach an unholy world through an unholy church. We have to embrace what He's called us to do. We've got to fight off the temptation to justify filth and sin in our life. We've got to be okay with the world around us Accusing us of being holier than thou and, and you won't do this and you won't do that. I've had all the arguments in the world with people that want to tell me they can do this or do that and be a Christian. And I've always just thought, is that the, is that the aim? To do as little as you have to to be a Christian. I don't even want to have that discussion. That's not, I'm not here to do that. I'm not here to, to try to just barely make it in by the skin of my teeth. 
I want to honor God with my life. I want to impact this world for Him. I want to be a candle that burns bright in the darkest corners of the earth. And that requires that I'm willing to repent and embrace holiness for my life. And so real quickly, three minutes and I'm done. Three minutes. In Ephesians chapter 6, and what I'm going to encourage you to do is read it because I'm going to be quick so that we can be done. I know your kids have been very good, very proud of the kids this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 11, Paul said, verse 10, he said, be, be strong in the power of God's might. Put on the whole armor of God. You need to learn to put on the armor of God. And it's something you've got to put it on. It's not just going to happen automatically. Put it on. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Brothers and sisters, this is a spiritual battle. It comes down to the level of flesh and blood. It affects flesh. It, there, there's been a lot of blood spilled between the war between Satan's seed and God's seed. But the war ultimately is a spiritual war. And we are in a spiritual battle. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Brothers and sisters, it's an evil day. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We've got to be men and women of truth. That, that's integrity. And this, understand, being true and having integrity doesn't mean that you never fail. I'm not trying to boast on me. I just want to give you an example this morning. My willingness to acknowledge that I'm right where I'm preaching this morning is an example of truth. And I can trust that as long as I stand in my integrity, I'm honest about who I am, and I'm honest about my weaknesses, and I'm honest with God about them, most importantly, that even though I have weaknesses, and even though I'm growing, and even though I'm maturing, God is good, and God is going to take care of me. Being truthful does not necessarily mean always being right. Sometimes it means being able to acknowledge when you're not. But we must be people of truth. We must be people of integrity. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, we understand that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, but in this text, it's not just talking about that. Otherwise, you wouldn't have to put it on. I've got to be willing to take what I know is mine and put it on. I'm going to be a righteous person. I'm going to live a righteous life. What does that mean to be righteous? It means to do what's right in the sight of God, what is honorable, what is pure, what is correct. I'm going to do that. Even though the whole world around me may not, even though I might be fighting with this person at my work or this person in my family might not like me, I'm going to stand in my righteousness and I'm not going to cave to my fleshly desires to act out of my flesh. Having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. We need to be a people of peace. We need to be a people who are, are not contentious, not trying to uh, bring about fighting and, 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 and contentious arguments about things that lead to nothing. Taking the shield of faith. Notice the shield of faith quenches the darts of the wicked one. There are darts, fiery darts that come to us. Darts that try to discourage us, darts that try to hurt us, darts that try to make us give up. You need to know that they're going to come. I'm telling you, it's not always easy being a Christian. They're going to come. Darts are going to say, well, God must not love you. He let that happen. Well, where's your God at now? Well, nobody else loves you. No one else called. No one else knows this. And all these darts are going to be coming. I've got to have the shield of faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing God. That's really what faith is. If you boil it down into its essence, it's believing God. This says, even when all these darts from the enemy try to tell me a different message, this is the truth. 
God's Word is right, and I believe God, and I will stand on the authority of God's Word. Taking on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our only weapon. If you want to embrace holy living, you're going to have to embrace the Word of God. You're going to have to let it guide your life. You're going to have to let it be the authority in your life. When you don't know what to do and you've got a situation and you're not sure how to handle it, find out what God's Word says about it and just obey the Word of God. That's faith. It is our weapon. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. Without holiness, without holiness, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I've been very candid, so I'm just going to finish with a final candid remark. How many times in one way or another, it might not have been as head-on as it was this morning, but how many times in one way or another has God confronted you about something in your life that needs to change and you refuse to do it? There came a time with Esau when it was too late. This morning, I plead with you. And I remind you of Hebrews chapter 12, which tells us the reason that God chastens us is because He loves us as a Father and because He wants us to take upon His holiness in our life. It is for our benefit. It's not joyful at the present. I don't like it. I don't like the stuff I was dealing with personally as I'm thinking, God, can I even get up there and preach this? Who am I? Who am I to stand in front of a bunch of people and talk to them about being holy? I struggle with this. I struggle with that. How many times do you think you can turn God away and still hope that maybe next time will be the time you get it right? Thank you.